Welcome back to the Hoops Temple Podcast. We are here to record the top 226 to 250 players in NBA history. I'm Nathan Schwartz. Joining me in Sacramento, Aaron Schroeder. Good to be here, Nate. We're ranking players. It's what we're good at. We did have a little bit of a pre-pod discussion. The way that we've done this, if you've been following along, which would be kind of weird if you were just jumping in on 226. Uh, still happy to have you, but kind of weird. You do you. Um, we've been going through, we break down, we rank the players by position. Uh, then we take those top five or take top player at each position, rank them out, you know, till we get where we're at. Um, and we pre-pod have been discussing, we think we were way too high on James Silas. He was our next highest point guard on the board. Um, we are pushing him back from being point guard 47 um, all the way down to point guard, was this, 59? Uh, yeah. So big tumble there, but it, it's just a tight cluster. And I think we were less impressed with some of his ABA stuff looking back on it. Aaron, do you have any more to say on James? I think it's from a lack of longevity and all of his impact coming in an ABA that's kind of kind of fizzling out in a little bit in that final 76 season. Well, there's tons of top talent. We we kind of decided he's a fringe top five guy one time in the weaker league, and that's basically it. And we decided guys like Mike Conley, who were really good for a long time and flirted with being top 20 on occasion in a much stronger era, was just more valuable. The other thing that we discussed coming into this was there are some current players who we didn't rank the first time around because they were um, they weren't at the five years yet. We weren't quite comfortable ranking them. At this point, they are probably better than this 226 through 250 ranking. So guys like John Morant, Shea Gilders-Alexander, De'Aaron Fox um, are not going to be discussed. We're probably going to just sh- shunt them off to the side. And then after the season is done, we'll slot them in there. So if you've got a favorite guy, feels rude to call John Morant the 250 best player at this point, but that's just how it's going to have to be. We're going to we're going to leave him off for now. There's a lot of talented players playing right now, but the thing is, we can't predict this. We're halfway through the season. By the time yeah. this gets up, we'll be even further along, and so much can happen. If it's an if it's an MVP season from SGA or a third place finish, if SGA and the Thunder make the finals, that's a massive difference. We'd have to go back and change it again. If John Morant manages to get this Grizzlies team to the playoffs, if De'Aaron Fox and the Kings have a nice playoff run, like there's so much that can be decided, so many accolades to be won, like big games to be had. It almost would be more unfair to try to rank them now than just to wait a little bit and do it in the offseason like we did last year. And I will say, um, because as soon as we say this, I'm about to make a very disrespectful proposition for 226. There are modern players that we are going to talk about. There are guys currently playing that we are going to to suggest for rankings. I think those guys are more guys that we kind of know what they are. Guys who mm-hmm. have solidified, and at least we know the standard. Like, Shea keeps going up levels. De'Aaron Fox keeps going up levels. Ja is still very young and exceeding you know, expectations. So, like, we'll probably still discuss those guys. We're not going to discuss, like, a Z- Ion or we're not going to discuss guys like that. We're not going to discuss a Zion. We are going to discuss Pascal Siakam. He is my nomination for 226. Okay. I think that's the right thing. I think it's the right call. With Siakam, it's not like year six and he's taking off. It's year eight. It's almost mm-hmm. been a decade of Siakam basketball. I think we know what we're getting. It's a big enough body of work to judge. And, and especially because 
the Raptors aren't doing much this season. At 12 and 20, he's probably going to be on a different team. We're looking backwards and seeing what he's done. What's your Siakam case? I didn't have him for just a little bit, but I'm interested. So my Siakam case is at this point is like really great third option. That's kind of what he was when the Raptors won that title team. And then Kawhi leaves and he takes over. And they have one season of very similar level play post post Kawhi. I think he's just a really, he's a low end one over 2019 to 2023. So the last couple of years, not counting the current season that's ongoing. He's 22.9 points per game, eight boards, five assists, uh, got one second team, one third team, two all-star appearances. I just, if he's your main guy, you put some other pieces around him and compete for a back end playoff spot. If he's your second guy, you're probably looking at 45 to 50 wins. And if he's your third guy, you're a title contender. And I think that is where we're at with these guys. It's like, none of these guys should be your ones. But we've at least seen him do it. Uh, and just looking back at last year's playoffs, solid playoffs for him. 23 points, 7 boards, like 6 assists. But to avoid being swept, uh, Game 4 delivers a 38-8-5 game. Which I think, I think that matters to me. The fact that he can step up and kind of carry in brief spurts. The best winning percentage for a Raptors team in their franchise's history was 2020. It was not their title team. It was the year after. And, and Siakam's a huge part of that. And I feel like the bubble like, kind of affected them. And the bubble is, is a thing in itself. But they were the one seed. The Celtics ended up beating them. But there is a world where it's it's a finals appearance. They lose Kawhi. And it's another conference finals appearance. But at least to say you can say Siakam took them to the one seed is a lot better than a lot of these other players. Um, I think I'm down for that. And then the next year, this gets overlooked so often, is they weren't the Toronto Raptors Raptors for a year. Like, aside from the Hurricane Katrina um, displacement of the Pel- or not the Pelicans, the Hornets, New Orleans Hornets back in the day, sending them to Oklahoma City, like, you almost never see a team have to play one season in a different area. And it's like a disaster zone where the, the Raptors had to play in Tampa Bay for a year, away from all the friends, away from all the family. I personally would love a year in Tampa if I could get a guaranteed, like, hey, I'm going to live in Tampa for a year and just enjoy the beach. Sign me up. But it does really affect you. And I think that kind of gets glossed over when we talk about, like, Pascal not being able to carry. That was just a disaster situation. Especially just for having no home games, being an entire season and no home games and, and still being able to handle that. It's interesting with Siakam. It was his third year in 2019. He kind of blossoms into this this star that's going to help the Raptors win the title. But he was 24 years old. And I think it lined up perfectly. They developed like kind of an older player. All of a sudden, it's like you have this, this veteran guy who despite being new to the league was like wasn't a 21 year old trying to figure it out like he was he was an adult and it had some huge playoff moments i can still picture pascal siakam's spin moves in the finals he was just spamming the shit out of that every single time (laughs) i i like it um and one thing i forgot to say is you know hey we are doing this by position uh so if we're cool with pascal at 20 uh 226 are you all right if i just read the five other names that are on the board, are top from each position. Please, that's something we should have done beforehand, but hit us with it now. <laughs> All right. At point guard, we have, I guess we no longer have James Silas. At point guard, we now have Maurice Cheeks. At shooting guard, we have Otis Birdsong. At small forward, we have Glenn Robinson. Big dog. Power forward, we have Carl Anthony Towns. Or sorry, at center, we have Carl Anthony Towns. And at power forward, we have Bob Nedelicki. 
Neto taking over the power forward spot. Super early ABA stuff. Joins the Pacers in at age 25 in the first year of the ABA. He uh, tricked them into get, leasing him a Cadillac, I believe. Uh, <laughs> man, man came from money. Dad was a dentist. He flew the crop dusting plane down from, I want to say it was Iowa to Indianapolis to meet with the team and just like rolled up. I was like, hey, listen, I don't know what's a good contract, but if you guys give me a Cadillac, I'm in. And they're like, bet. <laughs> you ain't going to sign with those Rockets or Hawks or whoever had his NBA rights. <laughs> and that's how the ABA did it. And like very similar stuff. I'm sure my brother would comment on it, but very similar stuff to the AFL where they would just, they, you know, they had to pay players to play in this new league and they would do stuff like, here's a Cadillac. Here's like, yeah, we'll do whatever. Your mom can hang out in the locker room. Like if it means that much to you, like someone's got to play. We'll talk about Nedelicki and all of his uh, cooler stuff later. I'm sure you have plenty of Nedelicki stories. But my great aunt is from Indiana and had Pacers tickets in the ABA. And really? I remember talking to her about um, – she said some – so she, her, she has this gigantic home because houses in Indiana, it's like $10 for a 10-bedroom, like six-bath. And she has this huge home, and the but underneath all of it is a basement that is the same size as the house. And somewhere in there is like – is like ABA Pacers, um, uh, what are they called? Like game pamphlets. Those yeah. were the, you know, they're on like the seats before you. <laughs> what is that? They don't do them anymore. But you know what I'm talking about. And she said she'd find it for me. The but brochure. I don't think the, you could. Yeah. yeah, the brochure. I don't think you could find the Statue of Liberty if it was hidden down there. But and we're talking to her about Mel Daniels. and um, I love it whenever you bring up basements because basements <laughs> are just like every house has a basement and you just like mention them with like a an awe of wonder of like <laughs> this, this thing beneath your house. Yeah, we don't have basements in California. <laughs> but the thing about her basement is it goes, um, well, she was a dance teacher for a long time. So you go down there and it's a whole dance studio and then the full basement connects and it just goes on for what seems like miles and you'd get lost down there pacers stuff so when i think when the when the pacers moved from the aba to the nba she bought colts tickets instead or something like that or when the colts moved from baltimore to indianapolis they decided to buy season tickets to the colts and so they had that for a long time terrible choice i'm disappointed in your great aunt but <laughs> more disappointed we're 11 minutes in and come on who's your nomination who you got top of your board i had mo cheeks I had no cheeks. You're not going to get the the high level play, like the the top of the league point guard stuff. But you're in 1100 games, age 22 to age 36, of like the prototypical point guard. He's the best defensive guard in the game, or whatever game he's playing in, and he is facilitating the offense as best he can. He when he retired, he was first in steals, I believe, and it's 2.1 steals per game on his Hall of Fame page. It just says essentially cheeks did exactly what you want your point guard to do facilitate the offense and hound the other team's guards and and he does that he is like the the gritty point of attack defender for finals teams for championship teams in 83 he's a four-time all-star and five-time all defense. i i was looking into cheeks and i was like what is his placement amongst the 76ers um and i'm like 1980 i think he's the third most important 76er behind julius irving and bobby jones in 82 um he is Maybe second behind Irving, closer to Bobby Jones. Um, but I'd say he's ahead of Andrew Tony. The 83 team, I think he's above Andrew Tony and Jones, but below Moses and Irving. And then the 86 team, I think he could be as high as second in the playoffs. But during the regular season, it's Moses Malone and Barkley. And like, these were really good players. I mean, uh, what? We've got Irving around 15. We've got 
but Moses in the top 20. We've got Charles Barkley in the top, I don't know, top 25, top 30. Like he's he's behind them, but it's not like being behind, I don't know, like Pau Gasol and Memphis. He is behind legitimately really good players. And he has a couple of playoff series where he averages 20 points per game, kind of in between Irving and Moses' decline and Barkley's ascension. He's kind of just like the young guy with the older 76ers and then kind of the old guy when uh, Barkley gets good. So he kind of bridges that gap. And I I think it's a great pick here. Um, I kind of wonder if we didn't have James Silas dragging him down, if we might have put him (laughs) up earlier. But I guess I I still went with Pascal Siakam above him. So... I, we didn't push him back too far. Maybe in the off season, it's a Siakam and Cheeks ascension, given that the season will be finished. Could be. So we'll have to we'll have to consider that. Um, and then one more note: just you know, he never leads the league in steals, but from seventy nine to eighty eight, he is between second and ninth every year. So like every year, always top ten, sometimes top five. Like he just locked you up. He could lead the team in assists. He could give you 20 points. I thought I noted down how many playoff series he played in 40 plus minutes. Uh, it was like an astounding number. He's kind of viewed as the foundation of these Sixers teams where like Dr. J is the star or Moses is the star, like MVP caliber guys. They both win MVPs of the Sixers, but Cheeks is the like the gritty defender and, and runs the team and is like the, kind of the, the leader of this, uh, of this team. Yeah. I, I just counted up. It's eight series. He's playing 40 plus minutes in, which I, I just think that's a lot. Like, yeah, that's a lot for sure. Does that, that give a, the ball back to me for a nomination? It does. But our point guard after Cheeks is Gene Shue, played from 55 to 64, the five-time All-Star and two-time All-NBA player. Think about him. Thought about him. Not thinking about him. Let's talk some Bob Nedelecki. <laughs> Bob Nedelecki. All right. I'm I'm just here Go for Go ahead. Go on your Nedelecki tangent. Owned uh panther panther i always forget what big cat he, he started with a lynx and then worked his way up lynx. to owning a lion a, 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 I, no one's gonna start with lynx i never like the, when i think of big cats i never like lynx first i'm not even sure i know what a lynx looks like it's it's a small cat it's it's like a medium-sized dog it's more of like say. a more of like a bobcat yeah yeah um i mean we can ask uh minneapolis people their their WNBA team is the lynx sure they okay. know what it is let me look so Bob has a very similar kind of claim to Mo Cheeks of being more like guy three or guy four on just an amazing Pacers run. Um, the Pacers were, they dubbed themselves or were kind of dubbed, at least in Terry Pluto's ABA book, the Celtics of the M- of the ABA. Um, and he's out there just Ding up people, also giving you 20 points and 10 boards. He leads them in scoring in one of the finals. Was it uh, the 69 finals with 26 points, 14.6 boards? A do everything guy out there. Uh, and like kind of the gl- ultimate glue guy on the team. But calling him a glue guy, I feel like we talk about glue guys like they're Udonis Haslam or something. No, no, this is the glue guy. If the glue guy was also an all star or uh, four t- or times an all ABA player, the all time all ABA team player. Um, and could get you 20 and 10 for a good number of years. I'm really not sure if I'm interested quite yet. I love Neto. I, I think he's playing in such an early ABA era. The talent of the league isn't great. Plus, um, I don't think he's peaking very high in, in even a weaker era. I have my, my stats scale, which is worth whatever you want it to be worth. But let's say 69, he comes in as the, the 10th best player. 
behind Connie Hawkins, Jimmy Jones, Mel Daniels, Rick Barry, Larry Jones, Roger Brown, Donnie Freeman, Louis Dampier, Warren Jabali. And like the NBA is pretty loaded at this point too. And it's like, he's probably like a top 30 player in the world. I'm just not sure if I'm there quite yet. I think one of the things you also have to think about with Neto is that he was a really good defensive player as well. He's not making okay. all defensive teams, but he's he's next to one of the best rebounders in Mel Daniels and still pulling in like, what was it? 10 plus Ten boards. A game, basically. Yeah, Ten next game, to yeah. one of the best. He's playing with Roger Brown, who's one of the best scorers, and still putting up 18 to 20 points per game. Um, he's just versatile. He does a little bit of yeah. everything well. So I don't think there's going to be as high of a statistical impact. Um, but he was known as the Joe Naismith of the ABA or the Elvis Presley he, of Indianapolis. He, he was smooth. He was smooth. Did he own a gay bar or was just a regular bar? Um, Neto, he owned the bar that they all drank at which was the inspiration for the bar in Semi-Pro, um, the scene where Will Ferrell's ra- waving the gun around. That happened mm. in uh, their bar. Where they, uh, the Pacers used to just all show up in cowboy outfits and like pretend they were you know six-shooters, and like, or they, they had six-shooters, and were like, we're cowboys. And uh, one of them was like, don't worry, these guns aren't loaded, and like cocked and fired it, <laughs> and I like shot a chandelier or something. Um, but yeah, it was Neto's. Uh, it was... Um, one, it was like uh, an open or not, not openly gay, but like everyone was like, oh yeah, like cross-dressers <laughs> and whatnot it would come to this place and like okay. you always had to be careful it was, it whether was, or not you were going home with friendly. a man. Yeah, it was it was gay friendly. And then he was recognized by the city of Indianapolis for improving race relations for this bond okay. because it was like one of the oh, yeah, most... Um, you know, black and white bars to get, can't think of integrated bars. Like mm. there was never a race problem of like, hey, you're not welcome here. I respect so, that. I respect yeah. that. And therefore I'll accept this nomination. <laughs> Improve race relations in Indiana. LGBT ally, Bob Nedelicki. Bob Nedelicki. Uh, and that brings up to the board, Rashid Wallace. I, th- I feel like you're bullying me on this one. Like you're just going to drag your guys up to the front. <laughs> it's your turn to make a nomination. You can try to talk me into Gene Shu and I'm going to bully you back. It's, it's, you know, you know what, you know what though? I was too harsh on Rashid Wallace. I was, and I think I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to come back to you. I'm going to say Rashid should be next. My man, vindication. Was it, <laughs> was it the 2000 Western Conference Finals that uh, that won you over? You know what's funny is that where, where it started was, I think it's game seven of the 2010 Finals. 20, yeah, 2010 Finals. Sheed's out there hitting threes, like huge threes to bring it out. And that's where it started. And then I started to look more into it. And I'm like, he just, he played the end of these big games. And whether he was a hothead or not, like he hit huge buckets for good teams his whole career. It was really important defensively. Yeah, Rashid has a ridiculous three pointer towards the end of that. I wish I could let me try to find some numbers real quick. They're not good. That finals, he shoots five for twenty one. <laughs> but he's <laughs> really good. helpful no, in no, taking no. out Orlando. He's nine for twenty one from beyond the arc in that series. Uh and good against Cleveland. He his spacing by by nowadays standards is pretty weak, but back in the day, um, you just didn't have fours shooting like that. He's like, he's starting game seven of the finals for the Celtics. He has five half, five second half points and four second half rebounds. And it hits, he only hits the one three, 
but it was i think it was it was like 76 73 or something and she'd hits to make it 73 76 like keep the celtics in it i'm not saying that's why he's higher but that's like what started my my rabbit hole like man like Rasheed wallace played a lot of big games um yeah and was just so uber talented like it's someone that could have been like and he played in in 33 playoff series and i feel like he left so much on the table like so much winning on the table i i don't know how much winning he left on the table like i mean are you saying like he should have won more with portland because i felt like he made the switch from being the the guy to let me do whatever it takes to win let me become the defensive stopper uh in detroit rather i guess he's 29 but what's your case for that he left winning on the table i think he's insane i think he's in <laughs> i think he's an insane person i think part of it's like in the western conference finals in 2000 you know the whole the clip where she's like staring at that ref and he's mm-hmm. like he tosses him that's the that's the conference finals he gets tossed in the conference finals for staring at refs and i feel like there's like that yeah it's like game one or three or something yeah, I- they lose that game they lose that game i don't think it's game one or three but with um there's also like the infamous like double on um manu he doubles manu kicks out to ori in the 05 finals that he was criticized for that's like very specific plays i just think in general someone with a little bit cooler temperament maybe would have been more stable and allowed the pistons to grab an extra one that was the first sports bet i won i turned to a buddy and i was like hey 20 bucks or he's gonna hit this three and he's like wow. what do you mean and i'm like as a lakers fan i've watched Ori hit these all the time now that he's in in san antonio or he's gonna hit the hit a three right here and you guys are gonna lose do you know what else rashid what did at the end of the game seven of the 2010 finals what picks up a tech Picks up a tech for, he gets called for a foul. Yes, it just like, loses his fucking mind. Kobe drives into him. He jumps straight up, but he jumps straight up like into Kobe. It's like, it's, it's straight up, but the trajectory is like, and they kind of bounce off each other. Mm-hmm. Gets called for a foul. And he's just like, oh, oh no, like you're losing his mind on the sidelines. Immediate tech. And it's like, you're getting texts with like a minute left in the, in the, in game seven of the finals. You know, I think the, the biggest problem with Sheed is that Sheed wasn't LeBron James. Like, I think that's the issue for a lot of players. I wish I think a lot of guys are like, man, if I was just LeBron. Did you see um, LeBron shoot the three and if he called it two mm-hmm. and his like reaction? Mine. Yeah, yeah. If if Sheed was LeBron James, he wouldn't have nearly as many attacks. Like you can get away with that shit if you're LeBron. That's true. When did they implement the the sixteen techs? Your you get suspended a game or whatever it is after his forty technical foul season. He needs like the Draymond stuff. I feel like today they're so like concerned with throwing their stars out. Are they? Because they keep tossing out Jokic. Do, do announcers realize he's <laughs> or do refs realize he's a star? Is that just are they just missing that? Uh, maybe, maybe. I also think Jokic says like I don't know. I think with, with with Draymond, he'll just be like, "Oh man, that's not a foul." Where Jokic is like, "Call that you fucking bastard! Make that fucking call, you fucking idiot!" And it's just like, whoa! <laughs> it's just really. Like really brief. It's not like a whole tyrant. They hold us turn to the ref and be like, "Call that, you fucking bastard!" It's like, okay, like all right, like whoa, man, that's terrible. I can't say those things. Do you think there might be a little bit of the fact that like we all grew up with like slightly Slavic villains and all of our movies and TV shows, especially the people of the refs generation <laughs> of like post Cold War, and it, like doesn't matter. You'd be like, hey man, what's wrong with that? Like, did you say you want to murder my family? Like, <laughs> this the uh, the Dolph Lundgren reaction. They remember Rocky three. Is it three? Which one's Lundgren in? I don't know. I I'm a bit ashamed. I've never watched the Rockies. 
I don't think I have either, but I remember that. Dolph Lundgren was in the new Aquaman movie, and I was like, why is that? Yeah, I went and saw it, and it's terrible. It's whatever, but I'm just... It's fine. I've seen all the Marvel movies. I'd never seen a DC movie, and I did not like it. And I'm like, why does that like that like sea king, like sea prince, keep talking funny? And it's like because he's like seventy year old German Dolph Lundgren. Oh my gosh! <laughs> Interesting. It's like, anyways, okay. <laughs> all right. Um. So if she's man, don't make me do this. Don't don't make me do this this early. Two twenty nine. How do you feel about Carl Anthony Towns for two thirty? Quick, really quickly, our next power forward is Paul Silas. Paul Silas, two-time All-Star, three-time champ, five-time All-Defense, the ultimate glue guy of the 60s and 70s. Um, We jumped Don't over Dan me. Roundfield. Oh, we did. We did. You were too excited for, for Sheed. You look, look at you. <laughs> I I don't know. I, I had him higher in my own rankings. I had Sheed over Dan Roundfield as well, although our, our positional rankings. Do we want to just get Danny Roundfield in there then above Sheed? Yeah. I'll give my speech real quick. Groundfield, three-time All-Star, five-time All-Defense, All-NBA in 1980. Really solid rebounder, really efficient scorer. Just 15 points, or close to like 19 points, 11 rebounds for these Hawks teams. He is like the best Hawk between, um, I guess, Maravich and Dominique. Like it's kind of like the the late, the early 80s kind of Hawks teams, and really good stuff from Groundfield. Really well respected. I had some quote from him, but I totally lost it. Just like someone, someone saying that like. They just love playing with Dan Roundfield because he played good defense and tried hard. Dominique Wilkins. Uh, he's a really smart positional player, especially on defense. He knew all the tricks. To me, he is one of the most underrated players in the history of the league. All right. Also, sad story. Dan Roundfield died saving his wife uh, in Aruba. She was caught in some bad waves and he swam out to try to get to her and uh, he ended up drowning. Oh, my God. She survived. I did not but wow that's holy shit yeah the coast guard got to her but uh yeah he attempted to save her so my my goodness that's that's the man this is selfless hero we've gone from seriously spicy p to a defensive master to a man who owned a lynx to the craziest man in basketball to a selfless (laughs) hero this is what basketball is all about seriously in 1979 the five seed Hawks took on the four seed Rockets and beat them just twice in a row with Roundfield averaging 18 points and 15 boards and 3.5 blocks along with 1.5 steals as the Hawks kind of kind of eat up MVP Moses. That's that's MVP Moses and it's a two game sweep. Moses averages 24 points and 20 boards on just a 43% shooting, 49% shooting. Sorry. I'm going to say it one more time. 44% shooting. It's 43.9. My brain could mm. not decide which number I was going to say. Yeah. As other Rockets players like Calvin Murphy shoot just 29%. What's left of Rick Barry shoots 32%. Uh, really great defensive performance by the Hawks in the... Yeah. It's so interesting. I forgot Rick Barry like, was even there. Yeah. It's so interesting with like the first round series because today that'd be like... There'd be riots in the streets if the MVP of the league had just two games... Like it's like a best of best of a best of three series, right? But then it's like you know, get a, like if you got a high seed, you got to buy, and like that 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 was the reward. But back but back then it was best of three first round. That's brutal. That's just brutal to think about. All right, so if we lock in uh, Roundfield at two twenty nine, Rashid at two thirty, our next power forward on the board is Paul Silas, and I'm suggesting Carl Anthony Towns at two thirty one. I'll give you the the grace of making the Carl Anthony Towns case. Yeah, I'm I'm really glad that you wanted to let me be the one to make this case. Um, 
you know, I think the, the cat case is a lot of high volume scoring. I mean, we're looking from 2017 to 2023 being 20 plus points per game. I mean, currently 2024, he's, he's up there as well. It's just not going to include that season yet. You know, we do have really high level three point shooting in as a big man, a, a very confident stretch five. If, um, but 2017 to 2023, 24 points per game, 11 rebounds. At some point, it's about production. And at some point, we have to kind of look at it and say, like, he was miscast. Yeah, he's not supposed to be the number one guy. Um, now is the number two guy on offense. The Wolves have been really good. And defensively, there was always some weird things with his numbers. Um, the Timberwolves somehow just gave up a ton of threes. Like, the three-point percentage when he's on the court was really high. Um, but like he's he's always been a solid around the rim protector. His rim protection numbers have been surprisingly good for how bad of a defensive like overall stand he's had. Um, but now with like Rudy there, he can get out and chase a little bit more on the arc. That's probably why their three point numbers were were so abysmal. But I, I think there is a twenty plus point score, a ten ish rebounder player, and a solid defensive guy with Cat in the right situation. Um, and I think we're also a little bit too quick to judge what a player is. Like, if you can't get it done in your first, I don't know, before age 27 season, you're you're just trashed. And it's like, well, uh, almost no one gets it done before age 27. And like at 27, we kind of figure out what these guys really are. Are they going to keep ascending? Are they going to be a, a number one option for a title team? And if not, like, you you move on. You become something else. And that's, that's where we're at. Do I think she, or do I think Kat could have been the Pascal Siakam next to Kyle Lowry and Kawhi Leonard? Absolutely. I, I think he has that level of talent. And so I just think this is kind of a talent and production placement. I think it's the right call with Towns. You're getting someone that has massive production. I think he is like my number one candidate for the player people are going to look at and be like, Carly Towns was a problem. He was he was a menace. He was the best center in the league. What does Jokic do better than Carlton Towns if you really look at it? That could be, we'll have that conversation later on. <laughs> They're gonna like at the end like Hall of Famer question mark next like all these crazy Carlton Towns stats. Um, is he already a Hall of Famer? But it's it's twenty three points and eleven rebounds, and I do feel like coming in as the number one overall pick, you're hoping he's going to be good enough to take a team to the playoffs and, and like do great things like first overall big man crazy talent but he, he's just not and they've mixed number one overall picks like crazy alpha anthony edwards and very much not alpha player carl anthony towns and it's been a really great mix in that sense um he is one of the best players in the league that i really just don't want on the court at the end of big games uh, he, his decision making can be questionable at best yeah but so could chris weber's or patrick ewing's or uh carl malone's like uh, you sure. know, there, no, there are that, a lot of other guys. That's why I'm, that's why he's not higher, maybe. Also, like, Towns is getting, let's see, 26 points a night on a 19-45 and 45 team. Okay. Yeah. 24 points a night on a 36-46 and 46 team. That's not bad. 36-46, and 46, not bad. That's after the... Yeah, but that, that team, it's like, this team has currently Towns. They have, they have Wiggins, who was pretty soon gonna be like good on golden state they traded for jimmy butler they had robert covington they had jeff teague they have they have tyus jones they have dario Saric. they have taj gibson that's actually like, they're a really surprising of... good team if you look back at those uh, yeah. yeah like a lot it's of them kind of really good roster stuff. it's a good roster it's 21 points and 12 boards on the 47 win sorry 2019 is when butler gets traded away 
um, to the Sixers. And so you have a 47-win team, and then without Butler, they're a 36-win team. It's like this is the ceiling of a Towns-led team. Um, It sounds like I'm shitting on Towns. I'm just doing it because his numbers suggest that he should be way, way higher. But yes. This is why we're talking about him in the 226 to 250 range. And like we've got a lot of other guys that are going to be brought up in this episode who are the guys who put up similar numbers to that, who put up 20 plus points for seven years on just garbage teams. Because like in theory, hey, yeah, if they were the third best player on a title team, they'd have less numbers, but they could probably do it. Um, But yeah, so if, if he's 231, who do you like for 232? We haven't had any fights yet. Not yet, no. I, I want Gene Shu. I want Gene Shu. Gene Shu's my guy. In 1960, first team All NBA is Elgin Baylor, Wilt Chamberlain, Bob Cousy, Bob Pettit, and Gene Shu. That's pretty good. That's a pretty good group to be in. Um, he has seven seasons in the top 20 for assists per game, including three top 10 finishes. He gets to the line like a ton um, and, and knocks them down four top 10 finishes in free throw percentage and also shows the scoring prowess with four top 15 finishes in points per game including sixth in 1960 um he was someone that that scored very well for the era facilitated very very well for the era and the and the pistons are making the playoffs and they're not the records aren't great but the pistons never make the playoffs like this is just such a struggling franchise like the times before this and the times after this so they make the finals at georgie arley at some point but as soon as he leaves like the the pistons are not going to win much until they like billy or bob lanier a little bit and then like isaiah thomas afterwards i just think it's a really good stretch it's it's five all-star appearances with 20 points and five boards and five assists yeah i i couldn't quite get there he has the five all-star appearances 58 through 62 the team wins 33 games, 28 games, 30 games, 34 games, and 37 games. They are sub-500 in each of these, these seasons. In the West, the West was not yeah. the better of the two conferences. That, that's the equivalent of right now being like the Chicago Bulls in the East. Or probably even worse than the Bulls because you're not even breaking 500. But somehow you keep making the playoffs. Um, and, and I kind of struggled to find like a really impressive playoff series that he produced. Uh, you brought up 1960, where he is All-NBA first team. Okay, that's pre-Jerry West. That's pre-Oscar Robertson. Um, looking at the other guards who received votes, he's right ahead of Tom Gola, which Gola. Like, I, I like Gola. Um, but Gola also has a lot more going for him in some other areas. And I just, I, I can't quite get that. I think this is a lot of really bad, like, league stuff. You talked about being top 15 in scoring in a in an eight eight team league so that's but he's also contributing top 10 in assists per game that, sure. the, the thing with the pistons is, is if you're gonna say they're not winning much because the league is so small you can't escape the good teams you can't like win the close ones like against in 1960 they played the celtics one two three four five six seven eight nine times you know how many they win out of nine tries uh they go oh and nine Oh, and nine. So, like, you can't, that's nine losses against one of the best teams ever with Koozie, with Russell, like, just stacked Celtics teams. If they didn't have the center depth, like, the size to handle that, which they just didn't, you're kind of relying on, on Shu. Like, because this, the rest of this team is a pretty young Bailey Howell, like, Walter Dukes, Chuck Noble, Earl Lloyd, 
a really old Dick McGuire, it's a pretty bare bones roster. And you're like, well, they can't win 40 games. Like to win 40 games, you had to beat the Celtics four times. Okay. It's just not happening. But so then if we're we're saying like, hey, you're not going to win either way. I I like the other 60s guy we've got in this basic ballpark um, who's down a little bit in our shooting guard rankings. uh, Richie Gurin. Yeah. And and like Richie, he also he's in the East and he never makes the playoffs. He has to play Boston, Philadelphia and Syracuse. 12 times each season um like it is, <laughs> it is an abysmal fight against these guys and, and like when you look at the two of them he has almost double gene shu's total win shares he is a better scorer than gene shu he is a better passer than gene shu so like that's bullshit Nate, and you know it that's a lie <laughs> these are lies Better passer than Gene Shu. I, I, here's my case. Here's my tiebreaker. Gene Shu was very well liked and well respected. Richie Guerin was an asshole that nobody liked. We could wait on Shu, but I like him. I think the thing is, if the league is tiny, if the league is tiny, you have your top guys kind of eating up all of the good basketball. But the bottom feeders like the, are still good players. The league is just too saturated to allow that allow like huge like winning seasons for them. They'd have to they would have had to have had a dominant center. That never happened. That doesn't take away from how good Shu is. Sure, I just think if if we're trying to rank the difference between Shu and uh, Richie Gurren, who is in the same ballpark, Shu five year peak of an All Star from fifty eight to sixty two twenty three points four point eight boards four point six assists. Richie, 58 to 62, exact same years, 22 points, 7.2 rebounds, 6 assists. It's just slightly better. It's 6 All-Stars, 3 All-NBAs compared to 5 and 2. We're just like, we gotta have Gurren above Shu. I just, I'm looking at like, this is some of the big Gurren years, like in like 62, he's kind of carried by this massive 29 a night scoring performance. And they win like 19 games. They were like, that's the worst team in the entire league. It's a difference in like kind of good, like 30-ish wins. 1961, uh, he's 21 points. It's like him and Willie Nollis, and it's it's 21 wins. He beat the Celtics in 1962, which is not something you say for Gene <laughs> Shue in 1960. Does he gets he pulls off a win? So I feel like it's like, oh, like if the Knicks were in the the West. They aren't winning enough to make the playoffs there either, so we can't really say like, "Oh, Gene Shue only made the playoffs because oh, Eastern Conference." They're not winning no, enough no. games. Gurren, the Knicks are absolutely making the playoffs in the West. They're, they're yeah, I guess 58, 58, 35 wins. That's pretty good. Yeah, like they're yeah, in Kenny the Sears. That's a good Knicks team, though. Kenny Sears and Carl Braun. I don't know. It's, I don't know. Fine. Well, who's your next guy? If it, who's the next center? It's Divac, isn't it? The next center is Divac. I'm not talking about him this episode. We're done with centers yeah. for the top 250. Sorry, Vlade. One-time All-Star Hall of Famer. Everyone in my TikTok comments always asks, but why is Vlade in the Hall of Fame? EuroLeague contributions. EuroLeague pioneer. That's why he's in the Hall of Fame. Early international stuff. Um, I would be interested in either Glenn Big Dog Robinson or Otis Birdsong next. I do love some big dog. Let's do Otis. I think he was my my next guy. If we're if you're so stuck on on Sheen Shu, um, with Otis, you said it's really just like the guys in the same era. I think I think we need to make sure that we rank the guys in in the era properly. And like mm-hmm. I, I think Gurren has to be above Shu, so we have to get the guys above Gurren out of the way. What if, I, what if I could find just one second? Uh, while you're looking for that, I'll talk about Otis Bird's song. We are looking at a four-time All-Star with the Kansas City Kings and the New Jersey Nets in the 80s. 
you don't make many, you don't find many Nets All-Stars in the 80s. Not a great playoff player. He's only got four series where he averages 20 or more. Um, but in the 81 first round, he's 27 points, six assists, and then gets hurt. Um, the, the team kind of, fall. actually the team plays really fairly decently without him. It's it's a weird series where like both the lower seeds in the making Western Conference Finals was in 81. Um, but we've got just really high level scoring for three years from 79 to 81. It's basically 23 points per game on a fairly efficient shooting without a, much of a three-point shot. Like uh, he's tossing up less than a, a half of three a game. So he's attacking as a guard and shooting basically 52% from the floor, which I think is really impressive to do as such a small guard. I like Otis Birdsong. I think it, it's interesting because it's it's such a hot start just breaking into the league, all NBA by year four, all-star appearances, but then the injuries kind of take hold. Um, what could have been is so much more. This is what I found. This is Nat Brody's guard rankings from 1962. It's a 1962 article. Had Gene Shue third and Richie Urin fifth. That's just that's my that's my era based evidence. Who is Nat Brody? It's a writer. What, what is this man's <laughs> credentials? <laughs> he, he was writing at the time. This is pro basketball all court player rankings by Nat Feats Brody. The next thing to being perfect is being Oscar Robertson. Cincinnati's great guard comes up with a total of 19.5 out of possible 20 points and a unique scoring system. I had sent you this a while ago, and it goes Oscar, Kuzi, Shu, Larry Costello, Guerin, Hal Greer, and like a rookie Jerry West, I think. So I think the thing we could look at to kind of prove this as kind of bubkiss is the next year. Fuck you. The Fuck next, you. Next year, Gene <laughs> Shu goes to New York and backs up Richie Guerin. He's 31 years old. Okay. It's it's literally the 30, next year from your article. 31 is ancient. Is ancient by... Garrett's 30. No. <laughs> and still no. the starter and still the all-star. Like... How many... Uh, I think we're comparing two god-awful teams. It's Shu and Gira. They win 21 games. Maybe we should. Maybe we just shouldn't talk about either of these guys. I, I'm okay to push them both back. I, I think they'll both be in this era. This thing, right. I've, I've got them 238 and 239, but... I, I want to kind of get through some shooting guards and small forwards that's here. And that's just kind of, I'm drawing the line on like, shoe can't be above Garen. <laughs> okay. Okay. Let's do, um, let's do birdsong. All right. Oh, Great start. A- who, who, who's the all NBA with? He's second team all NBA in 81. Who are the other all NBAers? I got it. I got it. I don't think it's magic uh, yet. Is it? It's first team all NBA of Gervin and Dennis Johnson and second of birdsong and tiny Archibald. I was going to say. I Celtics Archibald. I didn't think Magic was, was there yet. No. Okay. All right. Um, that brings up for discussion Ralph Simpson. Uh, we still have Glenn Robinson. Basically, I'm giving you the choice. Glenn Robinson or Ralph Simpson? Ralph Simpson is at the point in this list where it's like, these are made up people. Like, we're making up people. We're making up, like, like cartoon character names. Ralph. Because it's Ralph Sampson. Everyone knows Ralph Sampson. It's like Ralph Simpson, the five-time All-Star, three-time All-ABA player. I liked I liked Simpson. What I liked about him was the variety to his game and how he he grew as a player. He starts off as this this kind of inefficient scorer and then transitions into more of this efficient scorer and high assist guard. By like seventy six, he's eighteen points and seven assists on fifty one percent shooting. Where in seventy three, he was twenty three points, like five assists on forty four percent shooting. And so he he grows the he grows his game and is able to stay effective as the ABA changes around him. Uh, the big difference seventy six is when the Nuggets um, 
well, one, they became the Nuggets in 75, uh, was when Denver gets, gets David Thompson. So he no longer needs to score as much. And that's, you see the scoring numbers go down and the assist numbers rise up. I just think that's like really cool. Like, hey, as soon as you get someone else who's good at something else, he's like, cool. Instead of being worse or less efficient, I just pivot my game. I think we were right in moving Silas down. Yeah. Because looking at it, Simpson is all NBA second team at 72 and 73, all ABA first team, just like Silas in 76. He has five top of 12 finishes and points per game, including fifth in 72 and 73. Um, assists per game, he's second in the entire league in 76. So you see it really pretty effective in a lot of ways. Um, with Big Dog, it's kind of interesting. He's just like, he's 20 points a night. 20 yep. points a night. Not much else. He's big. He's 20 points a night. He's a solid rebounder. He isn't a total black hole. He can shoot the ball. Injuries cost him the end of his career. And that's kind of it. It still is nine seasons averaging 20 points per game. Yeah, it's it's always, it's interesting. He like, toes the line between good score and great score so perfectly. He doesn't have any crazy scoring seasons as high as like 23 points a night. But his lowest when he was healthy was like 19 points a night. It's always the same game each time. I remember you saying when we discussed Joe Johnson about how Joe Johnson was always going to get you 20. You ask him to get you 35, and it's like, oof, sorry, I can't do that. <laughs> if you need 15, 20. It's like, oh, this is great. If you need 35, 20. Take yeah. it or leave it. It's like, man. He also is a, a big part of the uh, the 01 conference finals run for the Bucks, averaging like 20, 20 points a night, 22 points a night in a, in a close seven-game series against the Hornets. But I think I'd rather do Simpson and then Robinson. Okay. Um, if we do Simpson, that does bring up Gurren. And if you want to do Gurren and Shu as a combo package, I am now open to it. All right, that's fine. We'll do we'll do Gurren and then Shu, just just to pander, and then we can do Big Dog. All right, all right, there we go. And that that was some some movement. We were you know slowly working our way up. I'm gonna read what we've got thus far, just to make sure we're both in the same place. Got Pascal, Mo Cheeks, Bob Nedelicki, Dan Roundfield, Rashid Wallace, Carl Anthony Towns, Otis Birdsong. Ralph Simpson, Richie Gurren, Gene Shu, Glenn Big Dog Robinson. That is 236. Where do we go from here? Who are our next nominations? I have Sam Cassell for the point guard position, Ron Boone, another ABA guy, for the shooting guard position, and at small forward, replacing Big Dog is another ABA guy, and Billy Knight. I'm, I would be pretty happy to kind of stick in the ABA realm um, with a Billy Knight. It's selection night is I, I had a little bit of quibble of like, do I really want to have Bob Nedelicki above Billy Knight? Um, they're both both Pacers guys. Now Nedelicki's gone by the time Knight shows up. Knight has a really great 76 ABA season. Um, but then post merger, still 26 points, seven boards a night uh, in the NBA. Uh, then gets moved to Buffalo which is 23 points and seven boards a night. It's two all-star NBA seasons before kind of leveling out, get, had some injuries, um, but like still mid-teen score. I think I think that high level of ABA play plus the continuation into the NBA post-all-star matters a lot to me. He arguably has like the best ABA to NBA transition, like behind Dr. J. David Thompson, George Caravan. Yeah, no, but even like looking at it, What's what's let me, what are Gervin's numbers? Also, fun fact about Billy Knight: 
He was drafted by the Lakers and then chose to go to the ABA instead. I think the thing with Gervin, that's interesting. The thing with Gervin is he's 23 points a night, or 22 points a night, then 23 points a night, where Gervin where uh, Knights arguably is better than that. He's better yeah. than, than Gervin is. So Gervin like peaks later, but that immediate like 76 to 77 transition is usually pretty rough for guys because you think about like Billy Knight's the guy in, in Indiana. Like he's the deep, like the player and he's able to kind of keep that as the as the Pacers transition. And a lot of guys, they literally just join like a different team. Like they go from like, hey, I'm the star in my city to showing up for this team that has has stars and has roles and rotations and like there's they, they had to find a way to fit in into the nba under like a new employer instead of immediately being able to stand out again mm-hmm. and so that kind of explains some of the, the statistical dips but i like i like knight he plays at a really high level split a b and nba let's let's go for that couple of fun and one not so fun fact about knight knight uh was the young guy at the end of the pacers bench his teammates used to encourage him to shoot more because he was a little bit too deferential when he showed up um Hard to say too deferential when you're averaging 28 points per game, but basically as soon as he got there, the team the the team who had won multiple championships was like, you're the guy. Other fun fact is that after the games, they used to all go drink beer at Meadows or other places. He only drank high C because he was didn't like the taste of beer yet. Just find that one fun. And then semi-fun fact, because he's the good guy, there is another Billy Knight ex-NBA player who is a sex predator, this is not that Billy Knight. This is a good Billy Knight. So just always want to clarify that. Who is the other NBA player that shared a name with some terrible, terrible person? I forget who it is. I think it's it was like, one of the... It's like a Hawks guy. Like he like came off the bench a lot. Yeah. Was it one of the Johnsons? Eddie Johnson. Eddie Johnson. There's an Eddie Johnson that's like great at basketball, thousand games played. There's another Eddie Johnson that like murdered a little girl. And I think on the Wikipedia page... It says for the good Eddie Johnson, it's like he says that like ruined his life. It's just terrible because it, it was like Eddie Johnson NBA and he's getting like death threats and stuff. Yeah. Anyways, our next small forward nomination is Marvin Bagley's grandfather, Joe Caldwell. Four-time All-Star, two-time All-Defense, 1971 All-ABA. We're still in the ABA. Really interesting case of pretty good NBA player makes two all-star teams and then jumps from the NBA to the ABA in the very early 70s. That's that's the way you prolong your career. That's the Zelmo Beattie case. That's, mm-hmm. uh, you know, hey, NBA career is starting to go down. Uh, you want to you get a few more all-star appearances, you want to be another top player. That's I think if it was just all NBA or if this was a different era and you put up these numbers, we would have had him higher. Uh, but I, but I kind of like him here or just kind of doing this little run on ABA players. I do think comparing him to what was the other guy, Ron and Boone, and then we got Donnie Freeman right after Ron Boone. That's that's just kind of my order of ranking them as I go Caldwell, Boone, Freeman. And then I think that's enough of a run on the uh, the ABA guys. I'm sorry, how do you want to order that again? Uh, you Cal- cut out just for a second. Caldwell, Ron Boone, and then Donnie Freeman. Freeman the next small forward after that? Um, Freeman's the next shooting guard after Ron okay. Boone. Okay, let's do that. He's an ABA. Yeah. He's just all early ABA. And like kind of the, the distinction is Joe Caldwell really highly thought of, of like there are some fantastic uh Dave Bing and Jerry West quotes. Bing, you know, when Joe guarded me, he gave me fits, toughest defender I ever faced, six foot five, could jump out of the gym. Jerry West, I wish I could have been a more exciting player to have been someone like Joe Caldwell. Like that's that's high praise. Richie Gurren says is that Joe was the most exciting player he's ever played with and coached. 
him leaving our team for the ABA was the real demise of Atlanta, not Pete Maravich. Uh, there's, I got Rick Barry quotes. I got Walt Frazier quotes. Everyone loved Joe Caldwell. And those are some really great quotes, some, some powerful stuff. I love me some quotes. What were players thinking at the time? It's just really important to me. You can look back and say, no, oh, they were this and they were that, but the, the respect at the time is, is, is a really important factor. So with that, our next shooting guard is the Iron Man, Randy Smith. I believe held the record for most consecutive games played prior to AC Green taking it. Well, do you want to talk about Ron Boone or Donnie Freeman at all? Right, go ahead. Um, do you want to? <laughs> Ron Boone, nicknamed Instant Offense, 73 to 77, 21 points per game, basically four and a half rebounds and assists. Um, he, he's got one, 22 points per game NBA season post-merger. Playoffs does a little bit of everything. Disappointing 74 finals where the team is really counting on him. They play him 42 minutes a night, and he only gives them 13 points, five boards, five assists. But good, good career longevity. I just don't think the peak was there as high as like Knight or Caldwell. So that's my case for 239. Um, and then Donnie Freeman, five-time him all-star between the NBA, ABA. But it's it's all ABA. It's all really early ABA stuff. Like he gets in 68 and it just kind of goes down as the league gets better. So uh, maybe players to look more into on everyone else's own time. But since we're already at an hour in recording and we still have 10 more names to go, I think that's a, a fine way to cruise through them. But we do actually have... I just kind of want to reset where we're at with everyone. Power forwards, we got Paul Silas. Centers, we've got Vlade Divac. The next shooting guard I've got on the board is Jalen Brown. Do we think Brown is so much higher that we don't want to discuss him and slot him in during the offseason? Um, that's right. We don't have... I don't have Jalen Brown ranked. Okay, I feel like Brown got lost into in the... In the ether? In the ether. <laughs> just in terms of uh, like current player, and I probably put him... Like I took him off the the other list. Okay, let's do Jalen Brown. Let's just slot him in and say this is where Brown will be for now. All right, two forty one. You all know who Jalen Brown is. When we did this initially, we ranked out our top fifty shooting guards, and I think we intentionally excluded Brown. Um, and then when we started doing fifty to seventy or fifty one to seventy five, we were like, all right, we gotta move Brown in a little bit. But it, it's an okay placement for him now. We'll reevaluate next uh, off season. Kind of a kind of a devastating uh season for brown in terms of his all-time ranking he went from like young all-nba player to is he the fifth best player on the celtics like it's just it's been pretty tough for him so is that 240 for brown 241 okay who am i missing i have caldwell 237 you have 235 what who do you have 235 uh glenn Gunn robinson big dog okay you're missing someone even higher who do you have a 230 interesting rasheed wallace okay uh carl anthony towns otis yeah. birdsong yeah. Ralph Simpson. Yeah. Kieran. Oh, Kieran. Kieran. Yeah, I'm missing Kieran. There we go. All right. So Brown's 241. Um, and our next shooting guard is Randy Smith. So we have Smith, Divac. Sam Cassell. Uh, Kiki Vanderway. Hmm. Kiki Vanderway. Crazy fun highlights to watch. Just he looks like a modern scorer. It's just a, a, a really big, like 6'8", small forward, power forward mix that could just shoot over anyone really quick first step the worst defender in the league every year he played that's something to consider of his 75 win shares nine of them are defensive which is pretty crazy that's abysmal he just doesn't rebound or block shots or get steals 
or stay in front of the, people. Or stay in front. But man, could he get some buckets? In 1984, he averaged 29 points per game on 56% shooting. He's one of the greatest scorers ever, but his everything else is such a struggle that he falls down to the mid 250-ish. Yeah, uh, Ger- or Kiki talking about himself. I don't think one defender can stop me from scoring. Just doesn't. Didn't believe that any there was a single defender out there who could stop him from scoring. Unfortunately, people talking about Kiki Vandeweghe would say the same thing about him defending literally anyone. He can't stop anyone from scoring. Man, you keep being on mute. I'm missing the laughs. You're killing me here. <laughs> sorry. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I was I was pulling some stuff, but yeah, Vandeweghe. Um, Vandeweghe has like he's part of that kind of the Alex English. I think him and English are some of the like the highest scoring duos of all time in that 84 season. Um, he has big, has big playoff series. I mean, like 28 points a night against, against Denver in 86 when he joins the the Blazers, 29 points a night against Phoenix in the first round 83. Like he, his, his scoring translates, but the defense and lack of facilitating also comes with it. You know, what's crazy is if you look at his three point shooting, you know, he doesn't initially start shooting them in the early eighties, but like from 87 onwards, it's low volume, but 87 to 92. He's shooting 1.33s a game at 40%. Mm-hmm. Imagine if if three-point shooting was a, a higher dose of his of his diet. Like he's basically a high 80s free throw shooter. And normally that's a fair correlation of like, if you shoot free throws really well, you can probably shoot threes pretty well. Man, he could have been an even better score. He's already plus 1,500 in true shooting added on his career. Like that's, that's really high level scoring, but... Um, what do you think about having him next? Or would you prefer, what are your thoughts? I, I got him or Paul Silas is kind of my next guy. Interesting. I, I really like Silas, but I kind of want to go Sam Cassell. Okay. I feel like that, that breed of point guard that facilitates the offense, plays solid defense, and just comes up big at the end, takes over games at the end. He hits big shots and he wins his entire career. He starts his career with the championship, going back to back. He finishes his career with the championship with the 08 Celtics. But everywhere he goes is kind of the best time for that franchise, whether it's the Bucks in 2001, averaging like a good 16 points and six assists in that conference finals run, joining the T-Wolves the in 04, kind of helping facilitate to KG, getting him to that, helping him to that MVP level and the Wolves to a conference finals level. Then going off to the Clippers, 2006 winning a playoff series for the first time since like Danny Manning in in there in the mid 90s then to to Boston where he's still at age 38 the backup point guard on a championship team he's getting any team he looks at 20 points in a playoff game with good facilitation skills big shots he hit shots so big he got injured celebrating in the 04 conference and the 04 playoffs got them big ass balls he was trying to show how big his nuts were and he hurt his hip <laughs> <laughs> God, I, I'm not sure about it quite this high because like he's always helping. So I, I guess this is kind of where we're at is like third tier, like third option guys. We just had Glenn Robinson and not too long yeah. ago. And 2001 is kind of Glenn's at least playoff claim to fame. And I think you could say that Cassell is an equal part of that team. I, mm-hmm. I don't hate it. Also, the, just the, the extreme longevity. I mean, it's it's 993 games. Um and probably would have had more starts if he was on a different team in the beginning. I wanted to say about that Houston team, because he doesn't play that much in 94 during the regular season, but he has some really big playoff performances. I, I pulled up his game blog to kind of just remember it. To help close out Phoenix, 
was this is a game it's game six okay game six 22 points seven assists coming in off the bench eight for 12 from the floor like that's that's a big game to help close out the knicks what was that game seven 13 points off the bench mm-hmm. like it's not superstar stuff but as a rookie to come in and instantly do that i, I like it i like it so that would be 242 yeah in the 04 playoffs the very first game against denver Garnett has a 30-point, 20-rebound performance, but next to him is Sam Cassell, dropping 40 points and three assists, five of six from deep. Like, Cassell and Garnett were just such a dangerous duo. And it's just, it's too bad that Cassell's 34 years old when that was happening. Um, like, just the match the match was just a little too late, and Cassell uh, wasn't able to have his best years with him. I did not realize Cassell ever scored 40 in his life. That is, I have a, I have a signed Sam Cassell card. I got to meet him once. It was kind of a cool... Uh basketball camp that i went to that is very cool i think sam cassell scored 40 he knows, he knows how to get around a 40 point game <laughs> he yeah, has people who scored 40 points in the regular season one time and then 40 points in the playoffs one time but yeah i mean big big uh big games man yeah in the in the game one of the conference in the conference semis first the kings he has 40 points again in that playoffs it's 2004 playoffs two 40 point performances in the playoffs in the playoffs I'll all right it. all right I think the next two point guards are up. I think we need to just say, hey, we're not discussing them. We're not ranking them. And like have a little asterisk next to our rankings of we'll evaluate and discuss John Morant and Jamal Murray after the season. Okay. So we're not placing them in? Yeah. I, I think Okay. I think they're t- maybe we can place Murray, but I, I think Ja is just a level above where these guys are at. And it would instantly make the list look funky to like yeah. have him this low. Okay, I can write down uh so Cassell's gone. Murray stays. Asterisk, asterisk, asterisk. Okay, so that brings our next point guard to be Norm Nixon, Laker and Clipper legend. Unless, unless we're going to do Murray. Nah, we can skip him. All right. I want to see what Denver's doing this year, because who knows? I mean, Denver is such a good team when he plays at a high level that if this is another conference finals run, this is a championship, totally changes the landscape. Yeah. Or if he's just hurt, then like we, I think at that point we really have to reckon with what what is his placement, mm-hmm. where do we need to have him? Um, and I think that'd be an interesting discussion to have. But all right, so then we have Paul Silas, we have Kiki Vandaway, we have Randy Smith, we have Velade Divac. Sorry, Velade, you're just chilling here. Um, and then we have Norm Nixon. Any nominations? My pick has got to be Silas. Yeah. The rebounding, the defense. He's a two-time All-Star, five-time All-Defense, and three-time champ. I feel like for someone who struggles offensively, like who uh, nine points on 43% shooting, making All-Star teams like the defensive guy is pretty telling of how impactful he was. And, and come playoff time, he's giving 32 minutes per game in the 74 for a ring, 41 minutes per game in the playoffs for the 76 championship, 25 minutes per game in the 79 championship. At age 35, like still contributing at a high level for title teams. Um, his rebounding is is really special. Um, each year, year in and year out, top 10 in rebounds per game. That's one, two, three, four appearances in the top 10. But th- I guess think about like also like how how many rebounds are happening at this time? Like, it's like, he's like competing with, because he starts his career in 65 and finishes mm-hmm. in 80. And it's like Kareem and, and Moses and Walton and Russell and Wilt. And there's a ton of like crazy rebounders. And Silas at just a 6'7 is right there with him. Yeah, he is uh, 20th in all-time rebounds, playoffs and regular seasons combined. Um, 30, uh, 31st in games played. I think that's another crazy thing. You say he started in 65. He played until... Well, 1980. This man played from Bob Pettit 
to Magic Johnson. Yeah. I mean, I mean, we talk about like these guys in eras, and usually there's like the Mike and era, the Pettit short era, then the Wilt and Russell era, then Kareem in the 70s, and then there's the Magic and Bird. This man spanned from Pettit to Magic and Bird. I think that longevity in this time really matters. And then his his defensive presence in contributions to winning, his second to last season, 79, he is with Seattle um, as they go on to win the chip. Like it's it's limited minutes, but still a big presence out there for as that defensive stopper when they needed him. Absolutely. And you talk about his longevity. The 1964 draft, he's the 12th overall pick. Second in games played is Jeff Mullins with 800 in that draft. And then first is Silas with 1,200. He plays four more seasons than anyone else in the mid like coming from the 64 draft. Yeah. he's. I think he's the oldest player of the entire league when he retires. Let's see. Is there anyone else older than 36 in 1980? Also, that means he survives the merger, which like you, the merger is just this kind of weird thing because everyone got to develop you got to have all of these teams and then it was like boom we're eliminating four or five six teams from professional basketball mm-hmm. that pushed a ton of people off of rosters and out of the leagues um you are right he is the oldest person in the league in 1980 right on so with him at 243 that adds back to the list julius randall no uh no cheers for randall oh my god what have we done? <laughs> We've gone too far. Go back. Go back. <laughs> I want I want these hours of my life back making these all-time lists just for us to end up at Julius Randle's mistake. It's interesting because even someone as flawed as Randle, someone that struggles so much in the playoffs, has had just boneheaded moments after boneheaded moments. He is like an all-star caliber guy, and he can average 25 and 10 or 24 and 10 and 6 huge numbers gets a team to the playoffs and at this point that's what we're talking about really bad number one options but like still these guys can't there are people who convince themselves to have this guy as the number one option probably not your best second options but as a third option like if the if the knicks had one player who is better than brunson or randall or even just just better than randall uh he could be worse than brunson like that team is now instantly significantly better like and Randall as the third piece, once again, I get back to the Pascal Siakam test. Could he have been in the Pascal role and won the championship? And I think yes. I'm not quite there yet. I'd rather have Kinky Vandaway. I would rather have a Randy Smith, but there aren't too many players I'd rather have left. Do, do you have a nomination? I, I like to go with Kiki Vandaway. Um, just mm-hmm. that super efficient, high level scoring. Yeah, the defense isn't there, but but to score that well for that long... You know, teams teams look for that type of scoring, and uh, I think I think that matters. I agree. I mean, his teams are able to win, like despite his defensive shortcomings. It's not so bad; it's sinking you. Mm-hmm. It's not Kelly Trapuka. No, <laughs> it's it's not Trapuka. Kelly Trapuka is so bad defensively, you couldn't couldn't be on the court basically. And like it, it also is like the efficiency at which he scores that true shooting added, like the fact that he's shooting deep jump shots, deep twos. At such a high a percentage, I really just can't believe what he would have been with three point knowledge or w- in the modern offense. Like this guy is probably hell. He almost had a thirty point season and in the eighties with threes. He's probably closer to thirty five. Yeah, for sure, for sure. With the modern offense, you have more, way more isolations, way more space. You can't even look at guys with the ball without them drawing fouls. I think in their scores, like Kiki Vandere, like a Carmelo Anthony, even like today's game, 35 easy. Yeah. 
35 easily. Yeah. Um, all right. So with him off the board, that brings on Andre Iguodala. Iguodala, the ultimate glue guy. He won seven titles. <laughs> there is no Steph Curry would be flipping burgers if Andre Iguodala wasn't on that team. Sorry, I'm just, just trying to get it out. <laughs> you got to. You got to. At first, you had your uh, Andrew Bogut would be a, uh, a screen merchant. You, you've got some repressed warrior stuff in there that I, I know you just got to let out sometimes. Which just like watching Golden State play, and it's like, okay, so they get to set an illegal screen every time, and then they have the greatest shooter ever, and it's like, this is bullshit. And I'm like, I, I, maybe my team would be better if we got to set an illegal screen every time. Or if you had the greatest shooter ever. I'm just saying. No, that also, no the difference that also the difference was... <laughs> The difference wasn't the shooting, it was the screens. All right, well, how do we feel about Randy Smith? Because um, he's, he's the highest guy on my board. It is it is a briefcase, um, which is something that we talked about bumping down Paul Silas for. It's really really just James a couple. Silas. James Silas. Sorry, we're, we're flipping Silas's around. Uh, it's a two-time All-Star, but he does at least have four years where he's a 20-plus points per game score with Buffalo. Um, and these are like the Bob McAdoo MVP years he is the secondary running mate to McAdoo um in 76 he's 22.6 points per game in the playoffs and 8.6 assists per game best in the league he's getting five assists per game 17 points a night in playing every game in a row every single game he plays in 76 82 82 82 82 82 82 82 82 82 82 82 82 he is nicknamed the Iron Man, or actually just Iron Man. He is Iron Man. I think Smith is a good call. Just consistent production, no injury concerns, every night, day in and day out. Good production. All right. Uh, that brings up World B Free. Played from 78 to 88. This is one of the like most good stats, bad teams. Teams have guys, for over eight seasons, he averages 25 points per game. Only a one-time All-Star, second-team All-NBA in 79. 79 is also the only year his team wins 40 or more games. Yeah, 30 a night and 80. I think the thing is, at this point in the list, it's hard to get good stats. That's yeah. why Randall's here. Like, even if a team is bad, it's hard to get good stats. I mean, My next Bandit. guy. Really good stats. That's true. My next guy was actually Norm Nixon, the two-time okay. All-Star, two-time champ. In the, in the playoffs... 1980, 17 points, 8 assists, wins a championship. 1982, 20 points, 8 assists, wins a championship. 39 minutes a game, 40 minutes a game in those playoff runs. Huge contributions to championships. I, I really like the Norm Nixon call out here. Um, he had some just, I, I feel like he's almost miscast in my mind because we always kind of think of him as a scorer. Or at least I think of him as a scorer. And you look back at him, he is a playmaker. Like, I know it gets... It's kind of embarrassing to play be the playmaker before Magic Johnson because you're just like never going to live up to that level. But the dude in the playoffs um, was slinging assists. 79, he leads the playoffs in the assists per game with 11.8 in the playoffs. Uh, leads it's the league in assists per games in the playoffs again in 81 with Magic as a teammate. It's not even before Magic. It's during Magic. It's the reason yeah. Magic's playing shooting guard his first couple of years. He had not made that transition to point guard because Norm Nixon's on the team. Um, I will say, in a pivotal moment when the Lakers needed him most, the Magic starts at center game. Norm plays 40 minutes and goes 1 for 10 from the floor. So They you know. win. They win. Yeah. Who cares? They won. <laughs> yeah. Uh, he does still dish out nine assists. But like Norm, I think, is kind of forever hurt by the fact that Magic comes in and just does what he does better. Like it's a magic fucking Johnson. Like, we, yeah. Oh, 
man, can you imagine being the scorer before Jordan showed up on the Bulls? Like, <laughs> I, it's not a thing to be ashamed of. I, I like if the Norm call out, and with Norm off the board, hey, where, did, where did we have Silas? Paul Silas. Uh, two forty-three. Forty-three. Okay. All right. I just I didn't, I didn't add him with with Norm off the board. It's Drew Holiday, current player. Now we've got a kind of an interesting selection because we have World Be Free. We've got Julius Randle, Vlade Divac, and we got Andre Iguodala. So we got three guys who are relatively modern players. Two actually in the league, one just retired. I'm not putting Julius Randle above Drew Holiday. You'd have to kill me. I think that's that's totally agreeable. <laughs> you know, I don't know that you could ever convince yourself that Drew is a better number one option, but I don't think Randle's a good number one option. I think if we're talking about being your secondary option... I think Drew is a better secondary option than Randall. If we're talking about the third guy on the team, I think Drew is probably, his skill set is just better to mm-hmm. doing that. What, but Drew does translates to winning basketball. And it just, it, and even like, yeah, maybe he's not going to carry a team to 45 wins like Randall can or get, like, have huge 40 performances and stuff like that. But at that point, like, I feel like Randall hard caps your ceiling when he's just around your team, like if he's in the building, where Holiday makes it so much higher. Like he he gives you this entire different depth in terms of championship potential. And you see that in the 2021 run, or even like with New Orleans in the way they um they win that series against the Blazers in 2018. But 2021 playing 40 minutes a game, 17 points, nine assists, great defense. That's conductive to winning better than Randall could. Yeah. Now I do I do kind of want to see because we've got Andre Iguodala here as well. And like, it feels bad to rank Randall above Iguodala just because of what Iggy did to to help with winning. But I, I want to see what happens with the end of Randall's career. You know, can he can he get off of this large contract? And will teams be smart and not sign him to more? And like, can he go somewhere and then really contribute to winning as that third or fourth guy? Because right now the car- contract prevents you from ever having him as the third guy. Like you can't have three contracts bigger than him or two contracts bigger than him. But I, I think as far as talent goes, Randall is a more talented player than Iguodala. I think so too. And the thing is like Randall is 29 currently. Iguodala, his age 29 season is that year in Denver, like right before he joined Golden State. And so we're at this like pivotal point where I think Randall's had better numbers than Iguodala. And like at that point has won as, as even like, let's see, before Golden State, Iguodala had played in seven playoff series and won one of them. Yeah. They beat the they beat the oh they beat the Roseless Bulls in 2012 I believe and so that's it like there's there's no contributions to winning and you, know, you see Iggy go from the guy to the fifth guy the fifth or sixth guy depending on the night right um, and it's all of a sudden it's the best thing in the world like let's what what does the next chapter look like for Randall yeah uh, with that I think Randall is my guy for 248 oh, okay you want to fight for world be free <laughs> um. I wanted to fight for Andy Phillip. Okay. Who's our next point guard after Holiday? I can I can listen to Phillip the pipe. The Wizard. Handy Andy. Great nicknames. Five time All Star, two time All NBA, two time assist champ, although he leads the league in assists per game three times, but it was still like totals, which they mm-hmm. still should be. It's so stupid. It's not totals still. It's ridiculous. But so three times leading league in in, in assists per game while contributing above double digits in points. Come playoff time. He wins a ring as the backup in 57, but plays in a good amount of playoff series. 20 playoff series at a time where there is no like sort of four, you know, can't get you can't get four playoff series in one year. Like you have to consistently make the playoffs. What Phillip does, helping making the, the the Fort Wayne Pistons make the finals in 55, playing 40 minutes a night there, seven assists per game. Like the guards weren't 
getting big scoring totals in the 50s. Mm-hmm. But but Phillips doing what you should be doing, which is getting a ton of assists. Uh, and pre-shot clock era, um, you, you really got to look at the scoring just all around was repressed. I'm, I'm pulling this up because like st- stalling oh, yeah. happened. I mean, you, you legitimately have like a Pistons-Lakers game that ends 18 to 17 because they just don't want to give give the lakers any chances so uh where's andy phillips here phillips's high scoring year he's 18th in 1959 with 12 points per game that's like 27 points a game 18th place is like 29 points per game in today's game just say 49 yeah 49 48 49 he's 18th in scoring with with 12 points per game and so really it's a like okay maybe that's in in 49 the league averaged 72 points per game. Yeah, basically. It was just a, it was a totally different game. Like The modern offense had not formed yet. Also, in 79, the league averaged seven assists. Like, teams averaged seven assists per game, and he was getting 5.3 of those. By comparison, like, right now, we're averaging 22 assists a game or something like that. Imagine if you were averaging 18 assists. Like, I think that, that puts in perspective. <laughs> how... It's also really hard, yeah, to get those assists. <laughs> yeah, um, I like it. I, I, I could do right. Phillips, Phillips over him. Just kind of a nod to the old school. Nod to the old school. Sounds good. Did you also want to make the case for Dick McGuire then? I think there is a there is a kind of drop off between the two. I did. Yeah, I did. Actually, he was my next guy. I think at this point, when when I when I <laughs> when I had to decide between Andre Iguodala or Julius Randle, I just started giving old school guys the nod. Like, all right, you're in, you're in, you first, after you. And it's like, okay, now let's figure out um, Iggy Adala first Randall. Seven-time All-Star on three finals teams with the Knicks. Nick legend, four top up uh, assists per game finishes. Um, I, I can do it. I can give the nod. Only one All-NBA appearance. That's but. Yeah. But making the All-Star team, like he's 24 and he joins the league and he's an All-Star basically all the time. From age 25 to 33, he misses it just twice in between. It's two All-Star appearances, a miss, three straight, a miss, and then two straight. And at that point, making the All-Star team at age 33, I'd have to go back. I wonder who the oldest All-Star of the league had been in 59, like what that looked like. I don't know. Because 33 is pretty old. I'd be hard-pressed to find someone who made the All-Star team older than that at that early in the NBA. Um. Well, so you do actually have quite a few guys who like – are just old when the NBA starts and are good at basketball. Mm. You do have the NBL guys who played mm, throughout yeah. World War II. And then you do actually have a lot of guys who served in World War II that, you know, come back and are, are playing basketball. So, so you might just have guys like that. But to have this length of career at this time is kind of kind of unusual. I had a I had a negative on him, which is just being an all-star in the 50s when you have like eight or nine teams and you have 20 all-stars and 100 players in the league. It's like being a top 100 player right now. Like, like if it means you're top 20% of the league. It just, you know, doesn't quite tell me much beyond yeah. that. And like, you could, you could add another 40 teams to this and, you know, five, 500 more players, and he'd probably still be an all star. So, no, no, that's a great distinction to make, but still, just, just the lack of basketball development. Because he's a Nick, I'll, I'll allow him to be over <laughs> Julius Randle, uh, give the nod to the Knicks history. But I, I think that then leaves me. I like Randall more than Mookie Blaylock. Yeah, I actually for for 250 I had Randall. Okay, man, you're really gonna have us end with Randall. I was gonna have us end with Iguodala, but I, I see how you want to do this. Do you want to do Iguodala? No, no. I was I I had I had Randall higher, and then mm-hmm. 
But I, I think Iguodala needs to be afterwards. But uh. it's just crazy to think about. Like, like I guess the thing is, like, can I could totally picture Julius Randle. Like, it'd be weird, just given like I don't think he's too good to do it. But could he play twenty minutes a night and then like in the finals? Holy shit! You need Randall to step up, but it's like he had 30 points, like because he's good enough to do that. And and it's a really interesting conversation. Yeah. It's it's hard the guys that get cast as number one options and on bad teams or number two out. And you're like, is this what you are because it's what you wanted, or kind of where the money mm-hmm. got you stuck? Like, you know, are we projecting that we want you to take less money because that's what we want? Whereas, like, hey, man, if you're gonna offer forty million dollars a year to be the number one option in New York, just just do it. Yeah. I'm not going to blame him for taking a max contract, but sure. if the Knicks hand him like a five-year extension, they're out of their fucking mind. Because sure. to get a winning basketball with Randall, you have to be like, it's $25 million a year. It's $20 million a year. You're the third guy. I'm fucking sorry. You play like garbage in the playoffs and you're the like you're miserable defensively. Like, Let's put you in a smaller role, work on your defense. Let's let's play some winning ball. Yeah. I think ultimately, like the difference between him and Pascal Siakam, not that high. Not not that big. No, nah, no. Nah. If the difference is Kawhi Leonard, then it's not that big of a difference. Yeah, Kawhi's a pretty big difference. But yeah. Well, Aaron, where can people find like, you? Possible chairs on TikTok, possible chairs on Twitter or X, and this podcast all the time. You can find me on TikTok, Nate underscore Hoops Temple, uh, also on this podcast. And email us at hoopstemple at gmail.com. We'd love to get your questions. Yeah, yeah, yeah.